0: go. So last Sunday after speaking on the sweet speech, I was chatting with Joel and Amy outside and Amy said, I'm really looking forward to thinking uh, about self-control this week. It's one of the less glamorous fruits of the spirit. But we can think about it this way, can't we? Uh, I think of the experience of watching uh, a well-known politician on TV uh, a few years back. and." The journalist was really trying to stir him up. And what I was impressed by was that he didn't kind of play into his hands. He just stayed calm. He was very reasonable. He kept uh, kept to his message uh, and, and didn't get worked up. And it just struck me that he was expressing self-control. There was something of an integrity to who this person was. And self-control was a really good thing in that instance. But i give you as well a window to our house this week and some of the things uh, the occasions of self-control that we had as a family one of our children had completed a timeout as a consequence for bad behaviour and we were speaking to this child but the trouble was there were just no ears to listen like a record stuck on repeat this child just kept going over and over the same ground it's my sibling who's the problem if they weren't like this then I wouldn't be grumpy, if that sounds familiar. You hear the lack of self-control there. No ability to stop a train of thought. No willingness to listen to the wisdom of someone else. Just a determination to air a misguided opinion designed to put the blame on someone else. Another example, one child screams over the smallest of problems. The toy is taken away by another sibling, scream. They haven't received the drink they've asked for, scream. A reaction that's out of proportion. Our response, do you need the fire brigade, ambulance, police? If it's not an emergency, you need to stay calm. Use your words to tell us what the problem is. Our words as parents were trying to help rein in the intensity of emotions and teach self-control. One last example, Uh, Aiden, our 20-month-old, helps me with self-control. I've got a bit of a back injury at the moment, I've been seeing Helena uh, for Cairo, and I got up early in the morning, Helena said, send me an SMS and, and let me know how things are when you get up. So I had a good reason to text. The trouble was I got distracted by other messages sitting there that I hadn't replied to. Now, uh, Aiden's mostly communicating by gestures and grunts at this point, but he points at the phone in my hand. And he points at the little stand that we have to set our devices on up on the kitchen bench. And he says, Eh, and points to the book in his hand. What's that, Aiden? You want daddy to put his phone down? Mmm, says Aiden, and nods his head. You want daddy to read to you instead? Mmm, says Aiden, and nods again. In that moment, He helped me to see my need to put down the phone, self-control, and instead engage with him. Well, I wonder where you and those around you are needing to grow in self-control. I wonder what difference it would make to your relationships if you took steps forward in practising self-control. Where are we? Well, today we're looking at self-control from the book of Proverbs, and we're going to see that self-control leads to flourishing. Where are we in a series? these first three Sundays of January, we're looking at wisdom for relationships from Proverbs. And part of the reason for that is that relationships are central. Jesus boiled life down to two things, loving God and loving our neighbour. Another way to put it is that life is all about knowing Jesus and knowing each other. So we're digging into Proverbs, this book that trains us to live in a Jesus-centred way in the details of daily life. And we're doing it in this thematic way. So two points to make today about self-control and flourishing. But before we get to them, I want to give us a, a big picture kind of orientation to self-control. Something that helps us think about Jesus and how it is that knowing him helps us grow in self-control. So as Amy said last week, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's listed in Galatians 4, 22 to 23. Uh, where Paul writes this, but The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is contrasted to acts of the flesh that have just been listed beforehand, or all sorts of ways of living that that we've learned that that are destructive. They, They go against God and against His ways. So it's worth saying that self-control is something that God works in us by his Spirit. It's a fruit he produces in us once we trust Jesus to rescue us and to bring us into the family of God. Does that mean non-Christian people can't have self-control? Well, no. I think of the restraint of a non-Christian woman who, who restrains herself from speaking badly about her husband when she's frustrated. While she doesn't have God's Spirit in her, She's understood something about the way things work in God's world. She gets it intuitively. Speaking badly about her husband, it would damage the relationship. So she says no to that desire. She practices self-control. The thing is, though, that those of us who know Jesus, we have resources to grow in self-control that no one else has. We have God's words to bring things into sharp clarity. We have God's Spirit to give us new desires and new power to change, and we've been caught up in a great rescue that teaches us to say no to our desires and to live by self-control instead. Listen to Paul's words in Titus to Titus in Titus two eleven to fourteen. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What does this mean for us? Jesus came, he's the heart of God's rescue plan. God's desire was not to leave us bent on fighting against him, not to treat us as our sins deserve, but instead to offer us rescue, to bring us to know him, but also to bring us to become like him. And on the one hand, we say no to ungodliness, and worldly passions, and on the other, we say yes to self-control and godliness, becoming like Jesus, pure, eager to do what is good. Well, hope the situations that I mentioned earlier in our homes stirred your desire to grow in self-control, but you have an even deeper reason than that sounds good. Your Savior came and gave Himself so that you. Along with all his other people, might become good. He came and gave himself so that you could grow in self control. So, this leads us to our first point from Proverbs. Self control leads us to flourish by saying no to our desires. There are a whole range of desires that Proverbs teaches us to say no to. The seductive woman, laziness, Greed, too much of a good thing like food or alcohol. Let's just look at a sample of these. First, the seductive woman in Proverbs 5 15 to 23. Listen to the father's counsel to his son. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline they will die, led astray by their own great folly. What's he saying? My son, enjoy the beauty of sexual intimacy with your wife. Protect that. Guard that. Never share this with anyone else. And the same goes for a daughter. The father's speaking to a daughter or a husband. The application's the same. To the son, it's don't let yourself be taken with someone else's wife. Say no to any other sex. And this applies to each of our situations. For all of us the saying no to engaging in pornography. Any lust for looking at a stranger. It's saying no to any kind of sexual fantasy that we might imagine in our mind. Any form of solo sex. For the single person, it's the self-control that consistently says no to acting on sexual desire. For the person who experiences same-sex attraction, it's consistently saying no to acting on that desire. This self-control is for our good. It leads to our flourishing. Even if we find ourselves living out a calling of singleness that we might not have chosen, we just find ourselves in that situation before the Lord. It leads to a flourishing with a spouse or a spouse-to-be, if that's what God provides you. But either way, it protects you from destructive consequences in relationships. So Proverbs gives us a picture of the person without self-control in 25 and 28 verse 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. What's the picture? That's a city with broken walls. What's the hope when an enemy comes? Well, that city is just in grave danger. That's what a person without self-control is like. No protection when temptation comes. No way to say no to a wayward woman or a wayward man whose desire is to use you, defenseless to the temptation to temptation, and the havoc that giving in will wreak in your life. I'm thinking about saying no to desires uh, more broadly, but I love the illustration that C.S. Lewis gives in New Christianity. He says, the good way to live out, it's like playing the piano. He says, we're aiming to hit the right key at the right time to produce a beautiful machine. So a mother needs to rein in her mother instinct at times. When a desire to protect a child would result in unfairness for other children, a mum says no to that instinct. Other times, standing up to defend your child is exactly what's needed and it's time to act on that desire. And he applies it to sex as well. There are times when a husband needs to say no to his sexual instinct because this is sexual activity with any other person other than his wife. There's also times, during times when saying no to his desire is good for his wife. Maybe it's her time of month. Maybe during pregnancy or following birth or during a time of hardship where that kind of desire just isn't there. But at other times, a husband is to encourage this desire for his wife's good. Lewis is saying it's not just about playing any key randomly. It's about saying yes and no to our desires in a way that sounds beautiful, in a way that loves. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about the sluggard or the slothful. It's addressing those of us who tend towards laziness. And whether that's you or not, I think all of us can be tempted to at least moments of being lazy. Now listen to the contrast between the ant and the sluggard in Proverbs 6, 8 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What's the contrast? Well, the ant is diligent. It's a self-starter. It doesn't need someone standing over it to tell it what to do. And it's proactive, gathering and storing the food that it needs. And the sluggard, he's lying around, inactive, no plan, no action. These approaches to life are very different and they reap different outcomes. The ant is provided for, but the sluggard has nothing. We're invited to be like the ant to have the kind of self-control and discipline that doesn't let rest turn into laziness and perhaps a serve-me attitude. But it's not that the sluggard has no desires. So listen to Proverbs 13, verse 4 in the ESV. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The lazy person wants and wants, but is never full. While those who work hard end up satisfied, I wonder what those desires of the sluggard are. Perhaps it's things to be handed to him on a platter without having to lift a finger. Perhaps it's the heart that's set on ease and comfort. So Proverbs calls each of us to say no to laziness and to flourish by applying ourselves with a diligent attitude. Perhaps you're like me. I don't identify as being prone to laziness. Particularly in my work ethic, I tend to be conscientious, I drift more towards overwork than underwork. And yet there are still temptations, potential moments of laziness. At home I might compensate for long hours worked by feeling entitled, and at moments where I want my family to serve me. I may confuse rest with escapism. Moments of a serve me attitude and desires for comfort can still rule my heart. And impact those around me. But instead the Lord's call is to say no to laziness. And to embrace true rest instead. And practically loving those around me. The there's a proverb about eating too much. It said that there's, uh, you can have too much of a good thing. Uh, and from our reading, chapter 25, verse 16. We read this. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. What's it saying? Isn't it saying that you can have too much of a good thing? Honey is sweet, but if we have no limits, I'll just scoff this down until I've had my fill. We may vomit it up. It's the temptation children have at Halloween, collecting an obscene amount of chocolate and sweets. Will they eat so much on the day that they regret it? Or will they enjoy just enough? Instead of overeating, self-control enables us to indulge in the sweetness of honey, but to enjoy it in good measure. I wonder what's like honey for you? Where are your weak spots where you're tempted to go beyond just enough? Is it sweet food? Is it alcohol? Another drink won't hurt? Or even, I've got to drown the pain. Binge watching Netflix until you feel gross or pulling all-nighters gaming. There are all sorts of ways we can have too much of a good thing. Well, Honey comes up again in our passage, but in a slightly different way. So verse 27. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honourable to search out matters that are too deep. What's it saying? Eating too much honey is not good. But here's something else that's not good. It's not good to search out things that are beyond us. Some things are too deep for us to understand. Self-control, again, helps us to live within limits. To say no to our godlike desires. To understand things that are just too, too much for us. To say no to our pride. It's interesting that the ESV puts it this way. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is is it glorious to seek one's own glory. What this makes me think of is is narcissism. We we hear a lot about that in our culture currently. Um, It's based on this mythical story of Narcissus who fell in love with his own reflection. What's a narcissist? Well, it's it's someone who's obsessed with themselves, extreme self-centeredness. The world revolves around them. But self-control warns us of the danger of self-glory. We say no to that deluded way of thinking. I'm a person under God's authority. He's the one who's truly glorious. I find my worth in being close to Him. So I refuse to live with a vision that I am the centre of the universe. I refuse to bend others to my will. I refuse to use, abuse and misuse others for my own ends. And instead, I choose to do what is good for them. After all, we're a people who live under God's words. Now, listen for the relationship between revelation, God's words, and restraint in Proverbs 29 and 18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. God's words lead to restraint, self-control, saying no to ourselves. I wonder when saying no to your desires hit home for you. I want mean, when you think particularly about the same person that I asked you to think about last week. you haven't chosen anyone yet, the idea is pick someone in your life that you're likely to have interactions with over the coming week. Someone you're going to see regularly, so you can think about the application and context of that relationship. I wonder what particular desires you need to say no to in order to love this person well. Does it relate to your sexual desire? Your temptation to be lazy? Or perhaps temptation to neglect them through overwork? Are there ways you might be prone to bending them to your will? Living with an attitude of self-glory or serve me. Jesus is with you, strengthening you by his Spirit so that you can say no in places where you found it hard to say no before. We've seen self-control leads us to flourish by saying no to our desires. Now second point is self-control leads us to flourish by being patient. Patience in Proverbs is closely related to anger. So one thing I saw in my preparation, is this where the NIV translates patience or patient, the ESV often translates as slow to anger. So let's look at the contrast between patience and anger in Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. What's the contrast? It's patience versus quick temper, taking time to respond rather than speaking from the intensity of our anger. I think of email correspondence. Uh, You read someone's angry words against you, accusing you, casting you in a bad light perhaps, and you want to fire back an angry response to defend yourself. Self-control holds back. It's patient. I'll sit on this for a week. respond. Again, we see different outcomes when anger is involved. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. What's the difference? When you're hot-tempered, you stir up conflict. I think of my own incidences of road rage. I was cycling across the, the bridge near Krooden train station after dropping the kids off from school. And I was riding in the middle of the lane. I, I don't feel safe in that particular spot uh, when a car's right behind me, beside me. Anyway, the driver didn't like what I was doing. So he went out into the right lane where you have to turn right, uh, but then cut straight back in. So, you know, an illegal driving manoeuvre. And I was furious. I was raging at him. He was kind of stopped in front of me with his window open. He hurt me through the window. Pulled over and exchanged heated words. Yes, I didn't like what he did, but at that moment I was a hot-tempered person. All I did was stir up conflict. Not so the patient. Responding patiently calms two warring parties and, and brings them together. So in my driving, I decided there are two uses of the horn. One of them is that, that brief, friendly tooth, like when someone doesn't realize that life has changed. But the other is that hot tempered, standing over the other in judgment. Now i am going to say when I say this, I want to argue for a third, but I'm not, I'm not sure of it's validity. I want to say that there are some situations that are just plain right dangerous, and I want to communicate something, but you'll have to chat, chat through me with it. i not try to see it clearly. The, the idea of the standing over in judgment on someone, um, Haley often has reminded me that drivers rarely respond well to having their driving judged. As so a part of my growth in self-control, my, my practice of patience is continuing to be the friendly tooth when appropriate, but holding back from the when I don't like someone else's driving. Proverbs also shows us that there's a certain wisdom in overlooking an offence. So Proverbs 19, 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offence. Now this isn't saying there's not a place for confronting sin. Uh, In many instances, love actually requires us to address wrong that's done against us. However, sometimes we need to pick our battles. Uh, We let go of a smaller issue Uh, in order to address something more important focus on that sometimes people are in no position to hear us and it just needs to be overlooked for the time being maybe it's the case of relating to a weaker brother or sister who's operating from a different place of understanding than we are wisdom chooses patience with this person think of that email example again the anger you read in that email accusing you is not good the things that was said you, you don't think are fair or reasonable but for the sake of the other person you choose to overlook these things you're patient you don't respond in kind with anger you respond with a reasonableness a kindness and a calmness and you realize that your response reflects the lord and what he's like And proverbs really does uphold this trait of patience look at sixteen thirty-two. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now Going back to Amy's point earlier, self-control may not seem glamorous. Uh, We don't tend to parade a person characterized by self-control. We don't parade them around a nation like a warrior who's taken a city, like a general, perhaps, who's led his people to victory. But far more valuable is the person who's patient, who's slow to anger, than a hot-tempered fighter. Look at what patience can accomplish in Proverbs 25:15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Patience can persuade a ruler to change their mind. The self-control of a gentle tongue is not weak. It's incredibly powerful. It can break a bone. As you think again of the person you're focusing on, where can you see the fruit of patience in your relationship with them? How can you practice self control by building on that patience and growing in being more and more slow to get angry? Where do you need to respond with more calm, to be more gentle, perhaps to overlook an offense? The Lord Jesus, he pulls you forward in this direction and he's purifying you so that you may be fit for him, eager to do what is good. We've seen self-control leads us to flourish by being patient. Today we've looked at self-control from Proverbs. We've seen that it leads us to flourish by saying no to our desires. There's a certain restraint that it brings and, and particularly in being patient. We've been thinking about how these things might impact our relationship with one person in our lives. As we close, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Please join me. Jesus, I thank you that you have appeared to rescue us. Father, how good your plan is that we might be able to say no to our desires. To be no longer slaves but instead that we might live with self-control. Would you help us in the places you're calling us to change this morning? Would you give us a confidence that your spirit can help us respond in new ways that we've not seen possible before? Help us to be a people fit for Jesus, eager to do what is good. We ask it in his name. Amen.